As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. American Hero was killed in combat. But did he die by enemy fire like we were told? Or did they use his death to rally the people behind a cause? Follow me down the rabbit hole to find out. Hello, friends, and welcome back to The Rabbit Hole. I'm your host, Danny, and today we are going to talk about Pat Tillman. Um, this is this is quite an interesting story. It's kind of like a heartfelt story that turns bad in the end. So, um, yeah, welcome back. I hope that you guys are going to have a super awesome Christmas if that's what you're celebrating this week. Remember, I'm, giving a, I'm doing a giveaway, so today this Wednesday right now. So the 21st, this is the last day you can enter. I'm picking winners today for people on Instagram. Go check that out. But anyway, let's get into this. This was a request by a listener. So Paige, here you go. Here's, here's your episode. Anyway, some history behind Pat Tillman. So Pat Tillman was born Patrick Daniel Tillman on November 6th, 1976 in I, I think he was born in Fremont. There was a little bit of confusion between the sources, either San Jose or Fremont. They're very close together, but I'm pretty sure he was born in Fremont, California. He was born to Patrick and Mary, and he was the oldest of three sons. So Tillman played high school football, and he helped lead his high school team to the Central Coast Division One football championship. And this actually helped gain him a football scholarship to play at Arizona State University. So, and he didn't like start out with football. He started out with baseball, but he wasn't very good. He didn't make the varsity team. So then he switched to like just focus on football, which was good for him because then he went on to Arizona State to play with a scholarship. And he got their last scholarship of the year, the year that he went to Arizona State. He got the last scholarship. So good for him. And he went to ASU and he played as a linebacker, although he was a relatively small linebacker. Like he was only like five, 
10, 5'11", like 200 pounds. Linebackers are big guys. And Tillman, Pat Tillman was not that big. Like he was, I mean, he was a decent sized guy, but he wasn't like a linebacker sized guy. So they were all a little skeptical. Like, are you going to be a good linebacker? And he was, he was a really good linebacker. His junior year, ASU went undefeated and made it to the Rose Bowl. And in 1997, he was voted the Pac-10 Defensive Player of the Year. And he was also named Arizona State's MVP. So actually, 97 was kind of a big year for him. We're going to get into some of his like accomplishments, like school accomplishments as well. He majored in marketing and graduated with a 3.85 GPA. And he earned the Clyde B. Smith Academic Award in 96 and in 97. The, he earned the Sporting News Honda Scholar Athlete of the Year in 97. In 1998, he won the Sun Angel Student Athlete of the Year. And since his death, he has been inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame and the Arizona Sports Hall of Fame. So he was like a really good football player and just a really good student. He actually enjoyed learning quite a bit. He wasn't a religious man, but he had read the Bible and the Quran and the Book of Mormon. And he also enjoyed reading authors such as Ralph Waldo Emerson and Henry David Thoreau. So he was well-read. He was well-educated. And he went on to play in the NFL. So in 1998... In the seventh round of the NFL draft, he was like 226th picked. Tillman was picked up by the Arizona Cardinals where he was, he actually, he played safety. He did not play linebacker just because he was such a small guy. They didn't think that he would be able to play linebacker in the NFL. There's some pretty big guys in the NFL, right? So he went to play safety and he started 10 out of 16 games, his rookie season, which is a lot of games to start your rookie season all while he was pursuing his master's degree in history. So he was like a well-educated man and obviously very athletic. He also, I forgot to mention this earlier, but while he was in college, he would climb the light posts and just like sit up there and meditate and enjoy the view. Just something that he would do. So I don't know. He would, he just liked to do things like that and out of loyalty. He was, so he was a super loyal guy. Super loyal, super honorable. We're getting into all that. But out of loyalty, he actually turned down a five-year, $9 million contract that he was offered to go play for the St. Louis Rams so that way he could stay with the Cardinals because he felt an extreme loyalty to the Cardinals. So he did not go and play for the Rams. And in case you're curious, that's almost $15 million today that he turned down $9 million contract back, back in the day. Man, I, I'm I'm impressed. But that's just the kind of guy he was. So he was actually very, like I said, a loyal guy. He ended up marrying his high school sweetheart in 2002, who was Marie Tillman. Um, but he was with her all through college, all through, like, you know, they high school sweethearts. So through college, through the NFL, they married in 2002, right before he actually enlisted in the Army. But I'm not there yet. So in the offseason like when he wasn't playing football, he completed a marathon and a half Ironman event that actually qualified him to go to the Hawaii Ironman event. Um, I couldn't find if he actually competed in that, but he would just like do all these things for fun. He said he did it for the challenge. Like, oh, okay. This guy's like out there playing professional football and then running marathons in his spare time and completing his master's degree, like just doing all these 
things. But he had a he had a calling. He had a calling. So in May of 2002, just eight months after the attacks on 9/11, um, and he had just gotten home from his honeymoon, he turned down a 3.6 million dollar contract to enlist in the army. So basically, what happened is the season had already started. The 2001 season had started. He was playing for the Cardinals, and then in September, the attacks on 9/11 happened, and he watched that in the media room of the Cardinals, like practice place the cardinals media room and um he just felt such a calling to go and serve our country and like defend against these terrorists that he wanted to go but he had to finish his his season so he finished that season so that's why it took him eight months to enlist because he finished his his nfl season and then he turned down like a three or five year contract to play for 3.6 million which would be a would have been about $6 million today. So that way he can enlist in the army. And in an, in an interview, he did state that his grandfather was at Pearl Harbor. A lot of his family had fought in wars, but he hadn't actually done anything with his life or that that's how he felt about like fighting and defending our country. And as far as laying himself like on the line. And he said he had a lot of respect for the men and women that had gone and fought for our country and for what our flag stands for. So he had this like this patriotic need he needed to fill. And I I don't know some of you might be younger listeners, some of you might be older listeners. I don't know where you were when 9/11 happened, but that that pool, that sense of patriotism that everybody had, the entire country for months, we were all just like we are, we are neighbors. We are brothers and sisters. We are, we are under attack. Right. And that's what we thought. And so many people, I mean, I met people when I was in the Navy that joined after nine 11, because it was such a pool, like to get people on this, this war against terrorism, it was tragic. And to watch all of our neighbors die, it was awful. So this I feel, and I was just a kid, like, I remember, like, feeling this sense of, like, our country's the best, we need to bond together, we need to be, so I'm sure that's what he was feeling, so he and his brother Kevin enlisted in the U.S. Army together, and they signed three-year contracts as Army Airborne Rangers, and his brother wasn't, like, he wasn't just some Joe Schmo off the street, his brother was a minor league baseball player that quit baseball to join the Army, and Pat had quit the NFL to join the Army, so, and Pat had just gotten married, they they're both athletic guys that felt this need, this pool to join the army and go fight for our country. So they did. And they, of course they went airborne ranger because that's kind of like a special forces type job. And they're both very athletic. So it makes a lot of sense for them. Of course, like that kind of job, it's going to test you physically, but also mentally. And so you have to be pretty, pretty mentally and physically tough to, to even like become a ranger. But Tillman, quitting the NFL to go and fight for the country, got the attention of people across the country. Like, this was huge. And the Secretary of State even sent him a personalized letter commending him for his bravery. And the government was excited to that his participation would promote the war on terror and, like, get more recruits. They wanted to basically use it as propaganda, like, to get more people to join up, which 
worked, but then they weren't very excited because after he enlisted, he basically stopped talking to the media. He didn't want the story to be about him, that he quit the NFL to go join the army. He didn't care about that. He just wanted to, you know, like he didn't want to be like the athlete turned hero. He just wanted to go and fight for the country. He just wanted to do his, his, his thing and lay himself on the line for something he believed in. In 2003, he and his brother got called to go to Iraq for their first deployment. And he was actually pretty vocal when he was in Iraq about his thoughts against the war. But he was a man of honor, so he did what he said he was going to do. He was going to finish his contract. He wasn't, but he didn't really believe in the war after that. He thought that it was basically a big lie. And he told some of his friends while he was deployed that he didn't feel that they were there for any particular reason. So he started to kind of see that maybe, yes, there was an attack on our country, on our soil, but maybe we weren't there for the right reasons, basically. But during that deployment, he did work as a backup in freeing Jessica Lynch. And if you don't know who Jessica Lynch is, um, for a little backstory, she was also in the Army. She was in the 507th Maintenance Company which got ambushed on March 23rd of 2003. And she and PFC Pistoa, I think I'm saying that wrong. It's a Native American name, so I apologize, were taken. and But only Lynch survived. So PFC Pistoa did not survive. And Lynch, she had some serious, serious uh, injuries while she was held captive. I don't know if that happened while she was in captivity or while she was being taken, like during the ambush, probably a little bit of both, but she was beaten up, man. And she went through years of physical therapy after this, but she was actually rescued on April 1st of 2003 after she was held for eight days. And so the Tillman brothers were a backup to help free Jessica Lynch from being a prisoner of war, which I went through prisoner of war training and I can't imagine actually being a prisoner of war for eight days. Oh my gosh. And it seems like, oh, it's only eight days, it's only a week. You don't realize how long a week can be until you're even in that train. Like, oh my gosh, it's crazy. So it's a lot for sure. I can't imagine what she went through. Then he went home for a little while. He didn't actually get to be home for long. He got to be home, like love his wife a bit. And then in 2004, the brothers were deployed to Afghanistan for Operation Enduring Freedom. So, and they kept deploying together, which in the Navy, they don't let, they, they do what they don't let siblings all deploy together. So because there was a third brother, and if you've seen Saving Private Ryan, then you kind of understand. Because there's a third brother and he was at home with mom and dad, he wasn't in the army, it was okay that Pat and Kevin deployed together. But if there was a third brother, they can't deploy Again, you have Saving Private Ryan, which is kind of about that, that movie. And in the Navy in World War II, there was the Sullivan brothers. There was five of them. And they all died. They were on the sh same ship. And they all died together. And their parents had no nobody left. It was just the parents now surviving. Because all five brothers died when a Japanese submarine sunk that ship. So it's against the rules now to have all these siblings on the same like either in the same platoon or the same unit, the same ship, something like that, because you need to have at least one left, which is what Saving Private Ryan is about. Anyway. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Our most precious asset is our time. So many people wish they had more of it. What would you do if you had an extra hour in your day? But no matter how short you are on time, you will always find a way to fit in things that are important to you. Therapy can help you identify the most important things in your life and prioritize them. Life can get away from you and it can be hard to take back the reins. Whether you need to learn how to set boundaries, become the best version of yourself, or even break generational curses, therapy can help. The best thing about BetterHelp is that it's totally online so you can fit it into your busy schedule. We don't have an extra hour in our day, so not having to commute to therapy makes it so much more convenient. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist after filling out a brief questionnaire. And what's great is if you don't mesh well with that therapist, you can switch at any time for no additional fee. You don't have time to waste. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com rabbit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash rabbit. But the two brothers could be together because the one brother was not in the army and he was at home. Anyway, back to the story. On April 22nd, 2004, in an operation called Mountain Storm, the unit was suddenly ambushed by enemy fire. Tillman was with an Afghan contractor who was in an American uniform and another soldier who basically they were returning fire and offering coverage so that others could escape. So Pat and the Afghan contractor were killed and the radio man that was with them, the other American soldier, he was just wounded. Um, And Pat's brother, Kevin, he was in a vehicle that was a little ways behind the ambush. So he heard the gunshots, but he wasn't actually in the ambush. He didn't see what happened. And then he was basically taken back and told that his brother had been killed. But the story that they gave him was that Pat had been killed when he stepped out of the vehicle when confronting enemy troops, which was not close to the case, but that's what, that's the initial story that Kevin was told is that Pat died stepping out of the vehicle and Kevin was taken to a base. A couple days later, he did accompany his brother's remains home. But the first official report from the military said that Tillman ordered his team to go up a hill to the enemy's location. And that Tillman's voice was heard issuing commands to take the fight to the enemy. Which, I mean, I get, but also if they're ambushing you, you don't really, you don't take the fight to the enemy. You kind of just, like, get out of there. You want to save as many lives as possible. You're not trying to get a bunch of people killed. Seems a little weird. But there's, like, a lot of messiness in this whole situation, right? And that's kind of what caused the family to start asking questions, is because evidence was destroyed. So typically, when a soldier is killed in combat, their things become evidence, right? So his uniform, helmet, body armor, weapon, things of that nature should have been sent back to the states so the medical examiner could determine the cause of death. They could look at the all, all the evidence. They could look at the, the uniform and the helmet, the body armor, his weapons, his journals, whatever he might have had. That's all evidence now to determine basically what happened because he was killed in combat. We don't necessarily know exactly what happened because of the nature of 
being in a combat zone, right? Things get crazy quickly. So that didn't happen for Pat. So his uniform and body armor were burned, which is weird. Like, why would they burn his stuff? You think that, I mean, at the very least, maybe his family wants his uniform. His weapon, helmet, and even part of his brain, which had actually fallen out, like, onto the ground after the attack, disappeared. So his, which is disgusting. That, I don't know. I mean, I I understand that they have to collect these things, but where did it go? Why would you not use that for evidence when his literal brain is not in his skull anymore? Anyway, and the autopsy was all wrong. So there was all kinds of missing and incorrect information. At one point, the report read that Pat had a gold wedding band on his left hand, but his family knew that he wore a platinum ring. Yes, he was married. Absolutely. And he did have his ring on, but it was platinum, not gold. So that's wrong. That's not even, are they even looking at the right guy? That would have me questioning so many things. If they're like, yeah, this guy, like my husband doesn't wear a ring. So if they're like, oh, he had a gold wedding band on, I'd be like, what? Where did he get that? Who's he married? Is this even my husband? This isn't my husband. Right? So I can imagine the questions going through Marie's head when she's like, this isn't my husband. My husband didn't wear a gold ring. He wore a platinum ring. You know those things about your husband, about your spouse. The field hospital report was also fabricated. So the information was incorrect as to if CPR had taken place, where and how he was transported, and most importantly, how and where the bullets hit him, which I feel like should be number one thing. Like we're trying to figure out like cause of death, right? Where did the bullets hit him? How did, how did they hit him? So that way we can determine what caused his death. Just days after the attack, officials knew that Tillman's death was due to friendly fire. But they didn't say anything. General Stanley McChrystal had sent a memo all the way up the chain of command, literally went to the president of the United States of America, saying that an investigation will find that Tillman's death was due to friendly fire and that this could cause public embarrassment if the circumstances of Tillman's death basically became public. So he wasn't saying tell the truth. He was basically just saying like, mm, it's going to cause some issues, some, some embarrassment to the army if we say what happened. So they just didn't. And, and in fact, General McChrystal presented the Silver Star to Tillman posthumously on national television. And this is the third highest military combat decoration. Also, the Silver Star is not presented for deaths by friendly fire. It's, it's for gallantry in combat, basically. So, I, I mean, I guess it could be presented to him still, but it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And he was given the star on April 28th, so just six days after his death. And they used the, the phrase when presenting him or his family with the silver star, they used the phrase, quote, in the line of devastating enemy fire, unquote. So they were still pushing this narrative that he died by enemy fire, and they pushed the silver star through the chain of command to get this to him, or to his family, rather, quickly. Like, Things don't go through the chain of command very fast. Typically, it takes a long time. There's a lot of red tape, a lot of people that have to sign off, and people are busy doing other things. They don't have time to sign off on your stupid medal. No, they push this through fast. 
but his family was super vocal. They started realizing that things just like really weren't adding up and it didn't make a whole lot of sense. So Mary Tillman, Pat's mom, said that he would hate to be used for a lie. So she thought that they were using his death for media and propaganda. And honestly, she wasn't wrong. And we're going to get there in just a second. She talked to basically any media outlet that would listen to her. And she tried to tell the truth. She said, quote, it became very obvious very early that they were tr- they were lying to us, unquote. So they knew that things weren't right. They knew. And I mean, his brother was there. I don't know. He, he just like there's just. You just know. And especially like a mom, you have like that mom instinct. You you just feel like. Like, yes, your baby is dead, but you just know that something's not right. And they're not good at lying. Although they love to sweep things under the rug, the military does. They do. So five weeks after the incident, the military finally came out and stated that Pat was killed due to friendly fire. Finally, they were like, yep, sorry, we lied. Mary said, quote, this was a complete debacle on every level as far as I'm concerned. They did not want the, They did not want that to come out. They used that five weeks, I believe, to kind of glorify the military to try to use Pat as a recruiting instrument, end quote. So what, how the real story goes is a leader of one of the U.S. platoon's Humvees saw the Afghan militia fighter and he reacted, basically. Quote, he testified that the Afghan guy had on an American uniform, but in the panic of the moment, he reflectively put the guy in his sights of his M4 and put seven rounds into his chest, unquote. So the shots by the leader of the Humvee were followed by, like, everybody around him spraying bullets, like, in that direction. And that's what ended up killing Tillman. And the army wanted to cover it up they were like yeah we're mm, it's fine everything's fine it was enemy fire for sure but i mean yes it would look bad that friendly fire had actually killed him but it's better in my opinion it's better to know that than to be used as this propaganda as this tool because now you have this all-american nfl player who you know there was a terrorist attack and he got all patriotic and joined the army and then he went off and got killed by enemies like that's like such a good solid like story to get people to want to join the army want to join the military want to go and fight like they're killing our men right it's like a good solid like rallying cry but it gets the people riled up that's for sure but that's not what happened and the fact that the army tried to cover it up Honestly, that does not surprise me at all, actually. But they wanted to cover it up. They wanted to suppress the circumstances of his death. They didn't want anybody to know what actually happened. That's what's so sketchy and weird. And I'm glad that the family fought because they needed to know the truth of how their their son died. I have never worked alongside, like, an Afghan contractor. I wouldn't know... If, how they look different. I'm sure they do. But if he's wearing like an American uniform, I'm not, un- I'm not understanding how the leader of this Humvee platoon was so confused by him. thought he was an enemy. I mean, he was shooting in a different direction than Pat was because he thought that like the Afghan contractor, he thought that enemy fire was coming over this Canyon. So he was shooting in one direction and you had Tillman shooting in a different direction, but 
when you're in a situation like that, it's kind of hard to decide, especially like in a Canyon, you don't really know where the gunshots are coming from. You just know that somebody's shooting at you. Right. And so I'm just confused at like how he thought this guy was an enemy that close to Pat as well. I don't know. I, again, I've not been in the situation. I'm not trying to judge it. I'm just talking through my thoughts here, but also they had people lying. They had this this soldier, Russell Bear. He was sent back to the United States with instructions basically not to tell the Tillman family that their fu- their son had been killed by friendly fire. And he attended the funeral, so he had to watch Pat get buried, watch his whole family cry for him. And he had to lie to his mother, to his wife, to his family that he was killed by an enemy instead of you know, friendly fire. And so after that, actually Russell bear went a wall. I'm not sure where he went or what happened to him after that, but there's some serious, like he, he just had such a hard time lying to the family of like the Tillman family that he just couldn't do it anymore. He was like, I'm out. And after all this came out, general McChrystal came out and he said, you know, I still believe that Tillman earned the silver star that he received. I still believe that that's something that he should have. So he didn't take, like they didn't take it back and they did apologize for lying, but it's just so weird. Like why would they cover it up? Why even go through all these, all the, the dog and pony show of this? Like it's dumb, but on the flip side, the military covers things up frequently and they get away with it frequently. So it makes sense that they would attempt to cover this up because they're just, they think they can get away with it. Not the case, but whatever. So anyway, that is the story of Pat Tillman. What a good all American kind of guy, you know, and it's, it's pretty sad that he had to die the way he did. And then, I mean, yes, that happens. Friendly fire does happen sometimes, but the fact that his family was lied to just really put, put some salt in that wound for sure. And probably lot like caused them to lose some faith in the American government, the America, like America as, as a whole kind of sucks. You know, this family that's fought for America year after your generation after generation, excuse me, but now they've lost that like patriotic spark, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, I hope you all have a beautiful holiday, whatever holiday you're celebrating with your family. Uh, Like I said, next week we are taking off. So please come back for your very first New Year episode. That will happen on the 4th of January if you want an extra episode. In the meantime, I did an episode about Mars being our ancestral planet and actually that was this week's or this month's episode. Last month's episode is about um the moon being hollow. So if you want to hear those episodes, go check out my Patreon. And until next time, my friends, stay skeptical. Have a lovely end of your 2022, and I will see you all in 2023. Hey friends, the Rabbit Hole is an independent podcast with everything you hear done by me, Danny Mercy. I appreciate all of your support. Please rate and review wherever you're listening. If you want to follow us on Instagram, it's at rabbit.holepodcast. And thank you, Zakar Valaha, for our awesome intro. 
spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.